You're listening to Real Talk for Real Men, episode number 57. Welcome to the Real Talk for Real Men podcast. Lifestyle advice for men so powerful, you'll want to run your life on it. And now your hosts, Guy Mullen and Chris Field. Well, hello there, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Real Talk for Real Men. I'm Guy Mullen. And I'm Chris Field. And Chris, another podcast today, but uh, we've got a bit of a a rainy, stormy old day today. Yes, I hope it doesn't come through too much, but we are in the, the dead of winter down here in the in the Antipodes, mm. the Southern Hemisphere. We are, and you're wrapped up with your scarf and we've got the heater on, so... <laughs> you got the heater on? You <laughs> <laughs> didn't, didn't notice, but um, yeah, so if you do hear a bit, a, bit of, a bit of noise coming through, our apologies, that's what's going on. So Chris, we've got, um, what have we got to talk about today? I want to talk today specifically about something that's been a part of my life journey since I was in my late teens, and it's around the whole idea of resolving our past messes. Okay. So do you want to hop on the couch and we can start <laughs> the therapy? Or? <laughs> I know. I've already been there. I'm just going to explain it to you. Oh, okay, okay, right. Uh, but what I discovered, and I've discovered it even in my teenage years, there were a whole bunch of things that I'd already messed up or that had become a part of my profile, not just part of my personality. And they were messes. They were things I couldn't overcome. They just went along with me in my life journey. They messed with the way I related to people, the way I thought about myself, messed with my walk with God. uh, And I needed to be able to unravel those things. And so by God's grace, a number of those things were sorted out. I tend to reflect on these things from time to time. Maybe people have heard a bit about this journey of mine. But it In the end, it distilled for me into just a handful of simple processes, which when you understand them, you can just use them over and over and over again, whether the problem is a big one or a small one, and begin to clear up the things that have gone wrong in the past. Okay, so by the time we finish this podcast, we're all going to be... There there may even be help for you. (laughs) We're we're all all going to be uh, pretty good amateur um, counsellors. I think so, because I, I don't think God intended for us to actually need to spend hours upon hours in a, power, in a, in a psychologist's mm-hmm. you know, chair. We, we, God designed us to be, well, he designed life to be able to work. Mm-hmm. He designed um, our journey to be one that, that, that we can actually get by on. The, the, most of us, when we go driving, um, we might get lost from time to time to time. We might be in a near miss because someone pulls in on in front of us. Yep. Uh, we might be in a situation where, um, somebody else has upset at us because we took their parking spot or because we cut in in front of them. But nonetheless, the overall journey is still quite achievable. It's it, We might have our moments. Mm-hmm. We might run out of petrol. We might have a flat tire. But the overall journey is doable. And the same thing really is true for life. Life is doable. But unfortunately for some people, they end up, as it were, with a flat tire stuck on the side of the road, almost crying because they just don't know what to do. Mm. And if someone had come along and shown them, hey, this is where your spare is, and this is how you jack the tire up, and this is what you do, or if they could have called along someone else to come along and say, hey, can you change the tire for me, they'd have been back on the road. And for many of us, we don't get taught the things that God has given to us in the Bible that help us just unlock those moments along the way when things haven't gone quite right. The messes, I call them. So do you think we're getting more easily upset by more and more things? I think we are probably, as a culture, becoming softer. Mm. And uh, the uh, discussion is made about how that really hardened soldiers, like in the Roman Empire, were able to be crack troops who could go anywhere and conquer anybody. But then once all the wars had finished being fought, they they got down to things like formation and how to look good in the uniform and how to 
um, impress each other, but they actually lost tone. And when the barbarians, the, the, the these uh, invaders came in, they were hardened soldiers, hardened fighters, yep. but the Roman soldiers weren't. And so the, the once tough Romans were, were defeated because they'd become softer. We in the West... Uh, we have no idea how soft we actually have become. Mm, we see that in sport, don't we? When somebody is coming back from injury and they train and they train and they train, but they lack match fitness. And, and you've got to get in there. And that's why even people in Australia, because we're a fairly small marketplace, yep. uh, many of our top sportsmen, top, top athletes have had to go to a larger pool and have tougher competition simply to bone themselves up to be ready for the next Olympic Games or whatever might be coming. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't know about you, but I'm constantly reading about more and more extreme examples of people not being able to cope with everyday tasks which are going on in, in their lives and just be getting more and more upset. And we're living in this age where where we get offended really easily, right? And I was reading the other day, actually, that from 2007 to 2017 here in Australia, that the prescription of antidepressants for teenagers went up from, uh, and apologies for the exact numbers, went up from something like 10,000 or 20, I think it was 20,000 to 100,000. So in five the space times of, increase, yeah. In the space of, space of, space of, space of 10 years. Mm. And now they don't know for sure why that was, but the commentators who I was reading or listening to were putting it down to the social media, how it's making making us more and more constantly wired, constantly in a state where we can easily get offended by what's going on. Well, let's pick up uh, an example. We'll make up an imaginary example of someone being offended Mm -hmm. and just show how this becomes the It's not really hard on this podcast. Oh, everyone gets offended. offended. You're offended all the time. (laughs) I I, I could come up with some (laughs) some jokes anyway. So let's imagine you're walking down the street and a complete stranger, just someone who you've never seen before, Mm Uh, we'll make it male because people, we always like male offenders when it comes down to someone who's aggressive. Okay. Comes past you, looks at you, and then just pumps out a whole bunch of, of insults, you know, calls yep. you a, an idiot and, and stupid and brainless or ugly or something, right? So this moment passes. It, it didn't take very long. Mm-hmm. You're just minding your own business. You're heading down the, the road. This incident takes place. And then because of the kind of things that were said and because of the venom, the energy, the, the spite with which they were said, once the person's gone, you, you feel bad, uh, you feel ugly, you feel hurt. And then you find, oh, I'll just shrug it off. But then you find that the next day it's still in your mind. Yep. Somehow or other, something that was said became like a hook or a spear inside you yep. and you can't get it out. Mm-hmm. Now, that's typical of just what happens in our life's journey, mm. something goes wrong, it's created a mess. We may have made the mess, for instance, and then feel guilty about it, or there may be... A, but I'm just using this example of us being offended by by somebody else. And as you might think, then, a, a young teenager getting some offensive comment on and mocked on social media in front of all their friends. Yep. Something happens, and the person can't put it down. You know, They just feel like it's really... It's just that they hate themselves for it. They hate the person for it. They feel terribly bad. They're embarrassed. They're ashamed. And now they've got this issue that goes with them. Uh, If they were going for a job interview at McDonald's, that would go with them. If they're going to go and catch up with the grandparents on the weekend, it goes with them. So some things are water off a duck's back, if you like, but other things, they stick. There's a little bit of mud left behind. So let's pick that example where someone is carrying this thing after the event. Now they come to me, for instance, and they say, well, Pastor Chris, how do we actually 
work through this so that we can remove it. And I, I identify just a handful of very simple things to do. Mm-hmm. And, and they would be a bit surprised at the questions I might ask them. Mm-hmm. But the first question I would actually want to explore with them is, did you in any way cause this situation to occur? Now, usually, if you're walking down the street and somebody insults you, there's nothing on your part that you, you know, you would be an innocent victim. But let's imagine that while you were walking down the street, you saw this person ahead of you, you saw him picking at some other people, and everything inside of you was repulsed, and you thought, yeah, I know these kind of jerks, you know, I don't like it. Uh, you might look at his nationality or his skin color or his socioeconomic profile, and, and, and something rises inside you that's resentful or despising or discriminatory. Mm-hmm. And whether you necessarily sneer at the person or say anything or not, you've basically put yourself in a place where you've, you've opened yourself up to that person's attention, even if only in a subconscious level, because you reacted toward them even before the incident. So let's assume that did happen, okay. that the person... Um, maybe looked up at this guy and, and somehow or other looked away really fast and had a, had a scowl on their face. And you, this is you. And you're now trying to, to get past him without an incident, but he's seen that. And then he comes across as, you know, what's wrong with you? And he starts picking on you because he's actually seen that reaction. Maybe he was even looking for it, but he saw it nonetheless. So I say to the person who's been offended, I say to them, did you do anything to actually cause the offence? And their first response is, no, he picked on me. But then you say, no, no, let's be, real, let's be really honest about this. Did you in any way at all set yourself up? Did you, was it completely out of the blue or had you seen the person? Were you already reacting? Because if we go to God and say, God, I've got a problem here and I want you to fix it and we won't take responsibility for our part in causing it, then there's, that's just not kosher. It doesn't work that way. Yep. You can't go to dad and say, oh, dad, can you fix up this problem I've made? And say, well, did, did you cause the problem? Oh, no, I didn't cause the problem. But if you did, you just got to come clean about that. And and even if your part was only the tiniest part, say, well, I guess I did see the guy and I guess I did snarl. Uh, but his response was far worse than mine. I say, that's okay. What I want you to do before we go anywhere else is to say to God, God, I actually have a part in causing this. I want you to fix it for me. But before we go there, I need to say, Lord, there is a prejudice in my heart. I do tend to despise people who look uneducated or who, who appear to have come from that ethnic background or who have got too much money or, or whatever. Uh, there, there was a prejudice and a despisement in me toward that person even before they picked on me. Mm-hmm. And then we come clean with God. We say, God, if there's anything I've done that caused this problem, then forgive me. And the case might be, for instance, a person saying, hey, I'm listening to this so I can remember that my dad never had time for me and it really hurt me. And you'd say, well, question first is, is there anything you did? And the answer might be no. No, there was nothing about me at all that would have caused my dad to be preoccupied and love his work or his golf or something else more than me. That's fine. But then you might actually have someone who says, well, my dad had no time for me, but I must admit I was a real cow of a kid and I really gave him a lot of trouble. You say, okay, then before we try and resolve the thing any further, come clean before God and say, God, forgive me. If I've had anything to do with this problem, I want to be clean. Just forgive me. So that gets us on to square one. Yep. Then we have actually have a look at the person doing something bad to us. And of course, what does the Bible say about people who do bad things to us? We are obligated, whether we like it or not, to have to forgive them. And so we come to the point where we say, God, this person picked on me, insulted me, humiliated me. 
bullied me, abused me. And, and I know I, I don't want to forgive them. I'd love to see them burn in hell. I think a strike of lightning right now to fry them on the footpath would go down really well. But I choose that I will actually forgive them. And of course, we know all the Bible verses about if you don't forgive, you won't be forgiven. So there's no that's a no-brainer. You know you've got to do it. It ain't fun, uh, but it is just something we have to get to do. And for some people that maybe have had um, ongoing abuse, let's say a, a father that neglected them, and did that for 25 years, there's an awful lot of forgiving to have to do. And you're not yeah. going to do that by sitting down and, and saying, well, I've got five minutes, I'm just going to forgive my dad for everything he did. But it's a process you work through anyway. Yeah. And every time you remember that time he wasn't there for your party, he wasn't there for your football match, he wasn't there and he didn't wasn't interested in it's your process. school report. It's not a one-time event. Yeah. You just keep saying, Lord, I forgive him, I forgive him. Yeah. Yeah. And that just is part of the life journey. When we get to that point, then, we've actually cleaned up our own act. So that's admitting that we've got a problem and then repenting before God of anything we've done, and we've actually forgiven the offender. Now we come to a very interesting part of the process, because I find that offences come in two two packages at the same time. So the bully comes up to me on the sidewalk. He's angry, he's agitated, he's frustrated, and he says, Hey, you look ugly, you, 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 whatever. And he starts pouring contempt on me, right? So I'm now damaged by everything he threw at me, right? That's the first the first area of damage. Okay, that makes pretty good sense. Yes, I was insulted, I was accused, I was belittled, I was whatever. But then there's this equal and opposite reaction. Who was it, Tolstoy or one of the scientists, Toynbee? For every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction reaction. So I've just been offended and suddenly out, out of me comes this, well, who do you think you are? You, you know, you, you, how ugly do you think you look? Or, or, you know, some kind of reaction, resentment, anger, frustration, bitterness, uh, prejudice, all this stuff can come out of me. And so when I go to unlock the problem later on, someone says, well, what did you suffer? Oh, I suffered abuse. I suffered insults. I suffered um, cursing and, and, and mockery. Oh, great. So let's deal with that. But that's not the whole problem because I also suffered from resentment and bitterness and anger and 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 um, uh, retaliation and a whole bunch of other things that came out of me. And that's why I say we get to this stage now where it's tricky because it's a double-sided package. We have to now deal to deal with the problem. We've got to deal with both both pages, the page of what they did to us and the page of how we responded. So we might have that boy I talked about whose dad neglected him. And he said, what did you suffer? Oh, my dad neglected me. Okay, that's pretty obvious. Yep. And your mother would agree. Everyone else knows he was like that. And that's what he did to you. But that's not all we've got to get rid of. What happened inside you? Well, over time, there was seething resentment. There was a despisement of people in authority because my father was the ultimate authority figure. And I don't trust anyone in office of of responsibility to, to pay me any attention. If I need attention, I scream a lot because I know nobody pays attention because my dad never did. And these are the other parts of the problem, the other side of the problem, the stuff that festered up inside us, sometimes right there on the spot and sometimes slowly, slow boil over time until we find ourselves stuck in a certain pattern of behavior, certain pattern of thought. But it all comes back to us suffering that moment of abuse at some stage. And it becomes a victim mentality, isn't it? It's typically what we call that when we fail to take responsibility for 
the thoughts and emotions and behaviors that we have, regardless of what anybody else has done, we are responsible for those things. Absolutely. If we, if we don't do that, then we just play the victim. Well, that would be all part of your life coaching work as well, wouldn't it? Uh, yeah, and the, the big problem, uh, I have to turn people away from coaching if they're not actually prepared to accept responsibility for their part. Because if people aren't teachable, they can't be coached. How do you determine if they are not prepared to accept responsibility? What, what, what's your? How do you filter that one for them? Well, I have a, a process that I go through with pre-qualifying people for coaching. So I have one of the first steps is a, a little questionnaire that I put the people through. And that sort of gives me the first level. And then after that, I have a client intake form, which has much more detailed questions in it. And, and then usually I also have a, a half an hour call with people. And so having done the two previous steps, then with a half hour call, uh, they, they start to introduce what the problem is, what it is that they want to talk about. And through the questions that I ask, I can, um, I can usually get some sort of idea as to whether this person is going to make a good client or not. So if they're busy blaming their dad, dumping the, the responsibility onto someone else all the time and they don't buy any responsibility, yeah. you know that that's basically a brick wall. Yeah, I can't help them. Yeah. Well, that's what I find with God moving into someone's life. If a person is not prepared to be honest, not prepared to accept responsibility, such as even repenting for the little bit they might have done to have caused the problem, yeah. then you've got all kinds of blockages. And if a person comes to that part I'm talking about now where there's this double-sided thing, there's the, there's the abuse that's been... Uh, perpetrated, but then there's also the kind of reaction that, that festers inside a person. If they won't look at what's festering inside them, once again, we've got a blockage. It's a comes to that point of turning around and saying, I need help and I will be accountable. That's the word you, you threw in on this one, and I think that's a good word. I will be accountable here. Yeah. So with, so with coaching on a call, typically I'll ask people how they want things to be different. If you could take away any restraints around money or time or anything that they think is, is stopping them, how do they want things to be different? They woke up one day and things were the way they wanted them to be. What would they like to be different? And and one of the things I'm looking for there is not just the externals, but also the internals. And then from there, I ask them, well, why has this not happened yet? Right? And that's when you then find out whether they're just going to blame others or whether they look internally and they say, well, actually, I'm in the way. There's things that I'm doing that are stopping me from getting those things. Those people were teachable, but those who just blame others and say, oh, it's because of my dad or it's because of my wife or it's because of my work or whatever, those people um, those people were difficult to, to coach. Mm. Well, let's assume then that we're dealing with someone and they, we've, we've, we've got a teachable person. So yep. they've gone through, they've seen, yes, I did have a part to play in causing this problem. And then they did forgive the offender. And then they did look at the fact that the offender dumped on me this rubbish, but I also caused to grow within me my own set of rubbish. Mm -hmm. And I'm ready to bring both lots before God. Yep. That's when you'd come to God and say, now, God, forgive me for all of the junk I brought up. I mean, yep. a, a typical, for instance, um, females that have been oppressed by, by men, exploited and abused in some way or other, can very, very readily end up with a real resentment of males. They just, they, they, they'll join a feminist cause, yep. they'll be very anti-male. Yep. Now, that, that wasn't, the, the, the perpetrator didn't put that in there. That festered within them as a result of, of their years or months of thinking about it and reacting to it. 
And so you can often find within groups of people where there's strong, strident um, emotion uh, and strong positions taken politically or economically or socially that it goes back to an area where something's festered inside them mm. and they really bought into something at a deep level. They've got their teeth in the their, yeah, sorry, their teeth in the rag yep. and they're just not going to let it go. But it's because of something that's festered and then it festers. So what's what's really built up there is a story, a story in someone's life. And so there's something's happened, and then there's been things along the way. And the way that we work is there's so much information coming in through our five senses, we can't possibly take it all in. So what our what our brains typically do is it filters. We filter the information coming in, and we invariably have a bias in those filterings. And so. Once, we're, once a story has started, then the stories that we see others living and we see that people saying and doing to us, we filter them largely on the basis of those stories which already exist. And so we get this bias of information coming in that reinforces what we already believe. And as that happens, a person can end up locked into a mess. Yep. That they, and they keep saying, I wish I could be free of this mess. But somehow they've actually locked it in there themselves. Yeah, They're not letting it go. So I would say to someone in this situation, you need to come before God and say, God, um, I forgive the perpetrator for all the things that they did into my life, their bitterness, their anger, their their um, selfishness, whatever it might be. And I also then repent before you of all the stuff that came springing up within me over time of my story, my, my, my justifying myself, my my blaming my mother, my all the stuff that I've done. I, I just want to get rid of all of that. Now, in the Bible, they talk about um, an issue of kind of resisting the devil. And, of course, that's hard for us as Westerners to comprehend because we kind of don't see the devil and a lot of people don't even believe he exists. But the principle that applies to us then spiritually is that we actually stand against that junk. We actually resist it. We, we, we rebut it. If you're in a court of law and someone gets up and makes a claim uh, and you, you know it not to be true and you sit silent, then silence becomes acquiescence. It actually can stand yeah. as, a, as a legal fact, even though it's not fact, because you didn't rebut it. And so you'll hear, you know, you see in the... the, the, the uh, li- Objection. Those lawyer movies, yes. Objection, Your Honour, you know. I should so, use that bit more often in the podcast. Yeah, you can interrupt me more often, yeah. Um, and just uh, uh, rebut what's being said, you know. Um, let the record show that, that, that I do not agree with that. I do not allow that. That's not true. So spiritually, we kind of do the same thing with all the stuff the enemy's been doing. Mm. He's been putting fear, guilt, shame, grief, false yep. accusation. I don't know. The list just goes on. Right? All sorts of junk that we carry, which I'm calling the messes that are in our life. When we come to clean them up and we've gone through those steps I've talked about so far, cleaning away the legal ground, then we can say to the problem that's oppressing us, the fear, the the, the all that stuff, whatever it might be, in the name of Jesus, I, I, I reject you. I rebut you. I yeah. push you off. I resist you. Resist yeah. the devil and he will flee. Yeah. I resist you. I'm not going to let you into my thinking, into my emotions. I'm not going to let you control my decision making. I reject you in Jesus' name. Yeah. In his authority, I do it. I could do it in my own name, but you know the, the demon would say, Jesus, I know, and Paul, I know, but who are you? Which is what happened when those guys that were casting well, out demons. Well, well they weren't genuine believers, though. And they weren't, no. But so we get to the point yeah. where we want to say, hey, I'm doing this not in my authority, but in Jesus' authority. Yeah. I tell that problem to go. And then the more, the more I'm going to say the more intelligently, maybe the more thoughtfully you work through that, the more you are aware of the actual elements, mm. you know. So someone says, oh, um, 
I, I got bashed up by a gang, you know. It was violence. Okay, fine, it was violence, yes. But a gang of guys perpetrating violence, walking the streets, their issue isn't just violence. There's probably a whole bunch of stuff in them, in their profile, of, of feeling socially dislocated, of, 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 of arrogance or independence. Or probably had no dad. All sorts of things. Yeah. Stuff. 90% of the guys in jail have had no involved father in their lives. It's the biggest predictor of someone going to prison. So when that gang comes and perpetrates violence, they are sewing into the victim, not just the fist, not just the kick of the boot. Mm. They're sewing into that person. All that other pain that they're carrying, all that junk that's in their profile, is in a sense like a seed sown into the garden of that person's life. Which is why it's interesting sometimes, I've noticed, as I've had to help people over the years, there are people that have had really quite unexpected things spring up in their life, like out of the blue, things that that weren't a part of their Christian upbringing, weren't a part of their their family life. But when you go back to the inciting incident, the moment when they were abused or violated in some way, you realize it was very likely in the profile of the perpetrator. So it was like, um, I've gone to, to plant tomatoes in the garden, but... In, in, in my, on my gloves and in my hands is all the other seeds or everything else I've been planting all the time as well. And when the garden springs up, mm-hmm. I get tomatoes and I get cabbage and a few other things springing up around it. And I've got to work out which to keep and which to pull out. Well, sometimes in our lives, particularly for people that are violent perpetrators, they're carrying a whole lot of other seeds and junk in their life as well. So we come before God and we say, God, I see this stuff inside me. It may have been sown into me in the incident that I went through where that person was angry or violent or abusive or whatever, but it also may have sprung up inside me because I just became more and more prejudiced and resentful or I became more and more unforgiving or hard-hearted or more and more determined to become rich and famous so I could show them up or different motivations that spring up in us which become our coping mechanisms and our reason to stay alive. And all of that's junk. It's just messy stuff. We don't need it. But it's there now. And if we're going to really get rid of it, we slow down, slowly Go back over it and say, now, I resist that desire that I bought in to become materially successful. A simple example. When I was a boy at primary school, and being a church boy, going to, to, to church, my dad got really excited about the fact that Jesus was coming back really soon. And so uh, the, the preachers would preach about it. My dad would talk about the prophecies that Jesus was returning soon. So in my sixth grade, my last year at primary school, I go to to school and I'm telling my friends over lunch that Jesus is coming back soon and that the wars and rumors of wars, all of these things are signs that Jesus is coming back really soon. They got really excited about that. And they said, well, is it in the Bible? I said, yeah. They said, well, bring along a Bible tomorrow and show us. So I brought my Bible to school the next day. I'm sitting out in the, in the, the grass at lunchtime with my friends, showing them what it says in Matthew, that there'll be wars and rumors of wars. Now, I was doing that privately with a group of my friends. But some other kids came along out of my class and saw the Bible, and they reacted really bitterly. They called me a Bible basher, and they called me all sorts of things, words I hadn't really heard before. I didn't, and they weren't, and I wasn't doing what they were suggesting. Mm. But I guess the spirit within them, or the values of their family, the things that they'd heard in their own home, caused them to almost react spontaneously in a very bitter way toward me, because they saw in my hand this book that they'd often heard uh, mocked, and the Christians often being mocked. And so I found that for several days, these boys would stand as I would walk to go into my class or to go to the toilet or to go up to the canteen to get something that as I walked past them, they said, Bible basher, Bible basher, Bible basher. Now, 
that was a form of abuse that I was suffering and it was hurtful. And it was, and I felt very unfair because I was not that kind of person. I wasn't a forceful individual. I was very passive. I was, I was only answering questions my friends had asked me. Yep. But I, and so I took that in. But what festered inside me over time was, you know what? Because I love Jesus, because I go to church, because I'm a Christian, I'm going to show them up one day. It was just a little kind of thought that came into my mind. One day I'll be rich and famous and successful and there'll be nothing because they don't follow Jesus and I do. Now, that wasn't in the Bible, but I bought that little story, told it to myself. And and I had this drive through high school. I'm going to be successful. And every time I'm successful, that will put them down. It was my my payback, my, my sense of retaliation. Now, it was really very unholy, but I didn't know that. I thought they've they've offended me. God's going to bless me and that will show them up and I'll come up on top of the pack. And so right through those years of high school, that whole thought process was subtly percolating in the back of my mind. And then I graduated. And after I graduated uh, from high school, um, I I didn't finish university. I dropped out after my first year. And then I found a lovely girl I wanted to marry and we got married. We talked about going to Bible school and then she fell pregnant. And before long, I had a family and it was all very exciting. It was really wonderful for me. And I'd forgotten all about what had happened in primary school and what had happened with my secret vow in my heart toward my friends. And then after a couple of years, I was back in my own old hometown and I bumped into one of the, the girls from my class at high school. And she said, oh, Chris, nice to see you. Oh, she said, and I'm at such and such a university with several of the other girls. Oh, I'm having a wonderful time, parties all the time. Oh, life is so wonderful. It's so full of, oh, it's just you. Oh, I can't imagine how wonderful it is. Oh, and I hear you're married and you have some children already. And oh, you poor thing, you know. Um, I see that you, you didn't finish university. And oh, I see, you know. Oh, well, all the best. But, you know, think of us. We're having a lot of fun. We're having a great time. And and off she went. And I felt really crushed. But I, I was only crushed because it crushed my vain idea that I bought into it mm. in grade six, mm. that I was going to show them up. And I felt that they were showing me up. Mm. Now, that, that alerted me to the fact that we carry these stupid things inside us that are part of the mess of our life. I'll show my dad that I'm good, good enough. I'll show my brother that I'm better than him. I'll make more money than them. These things that we do inside ourselves are our reaction to the feelings of being abused or being neglected or being overlooked being hurt in some way over, over time. And and they're not part of the solution. They are part of the problem. And I had to go to God and say, God, forgive me that I ever imagined my own solution to all of this. You can make me poor and keep me poor all my life if you want to, because I'm only here to serve you. I'm not here to show anybody up. I'm not here to make someone else look feel bad. I'm not here to prove that anything at all. Jesus can prove himself. I don't have to prove him. It's not mm. my job to do that. Yeah. And I had to undo what by that point was about eight years, nine years of this stuff carrying on inside me that I'd sort of forgotten about, but it was ticking away in the back of my mind. I had to actually undo it. Once I did that, I was actually perfectly happy to be the father of young kids when I was young. I was very happy to not to finish university. I was happy to go where God wanted me to go and do what God wanted me to do. I wasn't intimidated by the fear that I'd bump into my old school friends anymore. Mm. Um, But I'd created that problem out of my own reaction. And some of the guys listening here will recognize that, yes, they have not had a good deal. Other people have wronged them. 
There are people they've got to forgive. There are abuses that they've suffered. But there's also junk in their lives that they put there themselves by their own decision about how they were going to expect God to sort it out or how they were going to sort it out or how they were going to prove themselves or how they were eventually going to have more money than somebody else or they would be better at the career than somebody else or they'd be a top sportsman. And they bought into these values which actually are not part of the solution. They are part of the problem. Now, you're staring at me like that. <laughs> What's that supposed to mean? <laughs> yeah, no, that's, it's it's very, very insightful. And the word that keeps coming back to me, I guess, is, is identity because it's yeah. very easy for us to place our identity in, uh, in the stories that we've lived in our lives, with the things we do, the people, things that people have said to us. I, rem- I still remember, there's a lot of things from my, my school days I don't remember because I had a bad head injury when I was when I was 13, and there's a lot of stuff I don't remember. But one of the things I do remember was my chemistry teacher marking one of my assignments, and he, he couldn't read my writing very well because it was pretty messy. And he said, you'll never amount to anything if you can't write. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's just those little things that can, it's amazing how you can remember them, mm-hmm. right? And you think, well, maybe, you know, maybe I have tried to prove someone like that wrong. You know, maybe there's been something there, just a little bit of trying to prove somebody like that wrong that you can actually make something with your mm. life, even though you're, mm. you're not a tidy writer. So, yeah, it's very mm. insightful. Well, now we're nearly out of time, so I don't want to, to elaborate further necessarily. I think I've covered the turf, the turf reasonably well. Mm-hmm. But I should just remind people, because I think I've talked about this sort of thing before, that the antidote to all of that, the thing that really helped me was to actually realize God loved me. Dear, that was most amazing news. I kind of always thought God would love me if and when I performed. Mm. God would love me if I had become a missionary. God would love me if I had was, was a better Christian than the, most of the others in the, in, in the church service. I always had this feeling that I could be, that I had to earn that love and approval. That we're saved. So that, that doctrine gets in, doesn't it? That we're saved by faith, no question, saved by faith. But then we have to maintain our faith. We have to maintain our right standing with God. And it falls onto us. And when I realized that God as a loving father just loved me, and he didn't love me because I could polish my shoes and stand up straight and smile nicely all the time. He loved me because I was his kid. And when I came in with mud on my boots and when I came in with a grazed knee, I was still just as much his kid as I was when I was looking photo perfect, ready for the family portrait. Mm. And to realize, yes, God actually just wanted me to come to him and cry on his shoulder, to bring him my problems, to tell him what stupid mistakes I'd made, to tell him I'd broken the window and ask him how in the world we were going to fix it. And when I had developed that kind of relationship with God, all the other things that I was trying to do in my own strength to make up for this or to fix up for that just became irrelevant. It really didn't matter. And I get to the point where you realize God's love is so amazing that if everybody on the planet hated you and God loved you, that love would completely obliterate all memory of that hate. It's just the love is stronger. Doesn't than matter how much darkness else. there is, a little light. It's just amazing. It. And so I want to encourage the, the guys listening here. Um, I, I can't, I mean, I've unpacked some ideas of where I've been, but for you, I'd just like you to suggest that you just sit down and talk to God and say, God, I need to know you love me. I need to know, you lo- know that, that you love me. Despite the mistakes, despite every 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 punch I've had in the face, despite every wrong thing that's risen up inside me, I just need to know that you love me. Now lead me on a journey into the kind of freedom that Chris has been talking about. Mm. And so, what about and so what about those 
that rubbish that we've built up in our lives? What do we do about that? Well, that's why you go back to saying, God, I see that it's there. Forgive me for, for me bring, letting it, like initiating it in any way at all. If I did anything to bring that upon myself, forgive me. I forgive those people that were part of the problem. We've got to become aware of it first, though. So well, how, we have, do we, yeah. how do we do that? Well, I think uh, God does that by tapping us on the shoulder, listening to a podcast, reading the Bible, listening to a church sermon, different things where you think, oh, yep. that's that's me. Something I can resonates. identify with that. Yep. And then rather than hiding in the corner saying, I hope nobody notices, step forward and say, God, I've just discovered something about myself. I'm reading in your word that um, someone who... who um, um, borrow something and won't return it is just like a thief. And I've, I've borrowed lots of things and never returned them. I did return your DVD today, by the way. Um, I've I, I borrowed things and never returned them. That makes me like a thief. And and I've actually got this wrong profile. I don't want to be that kind of person. And so you bring every time something is spoken into your heart by the word of God, you come back to God and say, God, Dad, I know you love me and I've discovered something really unpleasant about myself. Help me. Mm. Work me through this. Whatever that is, help me get through this journey. If we have God on our side, God's love, then there really, what else do you need? Uh, you know, there, there is nothing else available that is going to be so powerful. But we don't normally connect with it. So I'm just going to encourage the guys. Connect with the love of God as you see the messes and let him lead you through them like he did with me. All right. Uh, that's, that's great advice. So, Chris, thank you for sharing sharing this deep topic with us today. I think um, there's, there's bound to be stuff that's resonated with, with our listeners as there has been for me. So uh, thank you. Well, it's my pleasure. I just love sharing with others the fact that I'm a jerk and I've been through some pretty terrible messes and by God's grace, I'm still here. And so if it works for me, man, it's going to work for anybody, I can tell you. All right. Amen. All right. That's, that's it from us. So remember to head over to the website at www.realmen247.org and you'll find some show notes there and also don't forget to tell your friends about this podcast share it on your favorite channels so that others can benefit from chris's wonderful wisdom and my bad jokes so. <laughs> god bless you guys bye for now bye bye thanks for listening to the real talk for real men podcast at www.realmen247.org